Uh, Father, we thank you that uh, you're so uh, good. And Lord, as we sang this morning, that uh, you are pleased to manifest your glory uh, among us. And uh, Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you that uh, you came down from heaven in the person of your son, Jesus, uh, to make uh, God known to us. And Lord, I, I pray that as we open your word this morning, that your word would would bear much fruit and uh, that your word would cause us to to worship you and to to love you more and more. So I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So you may be seated. Now, some of you know me pretty well, and uh, you know that I'm a fairly timid fellow. Uh, I'm, I'm not naturally drawn to, to say hello to strangers at the grocery store or at the coffee shop or at uh, the gym where I go, uh, but uh, I'm, I'm, it's not my natural bent. And, uh, but I, may, I try to make an effort because I want to be an evangelist. I want to, have, I want to open doors to have opportunities to share the gospel with people eventually. And, uh, and so I, one of the things that I do is, is I try to intentionally uh, start the conversation with people. And one of the things that, uh, that you all know from meeting new people is that you eventually get to the topic of what do you do for a living. And uh, as, as you know, I'm a pastoral intern here at the church, and so I, I, I just tell them that that's what I do. I work for a church, and I'm a pastoral intern. And usually at that point, uh, their faces kind of get a little bit, you know, they kind of drop a bit, and uh, the conversation goes to a halt. And, uh, and if I had, have had the technology of like a very, very small microphone, I could put it next to their ear, I could hear their thoughts, and it would sound something like, uh, don't you know that there are more worthwhile things to do, uh, more worthwhile pursuits in this life, like science and, uh, and and achieving good government? Like you would do much better to contribute to the progress of our society if you spent more time on these things, if you focused on this. Now it's a it's a, it's a good question. I mean, it's a good point. And uh, and really, what the question is is that why don't you uh, Christians, as myself, why don't Christians, as myself, uh, devote uh, themselves to the here and now, uh, things that uh, contribute to the progress of our society, and uh, or at least as defined by the average Canadian. So if you have your Bibles with you, uh, the text that we're looking at today will actually help us engage with that question and hopefully provide an answer. So we're going to look at Matthew chapter 2, beginning, in a, beginning at the first verse. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod, the king. Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Now, just pausing here for a moment. Uh, this is our setting. This is where the this, this is the you know the setting of the story. We're we're getting acquainted with the characters and the, the different places. So we start with Jesus, who's from a small town, and uh, and he has a bit of an awkward story. If you read, if you take a minute after the service today, you read uh, just the last part of the the chapter before this chapter, you get a sense that uh, you know if Jesus were in a playground with the other kids in Bethlehem. Uh, and they asked, where are you from? He, it would take a minute, and then two, five minutes, he would start talking about the hypostatic, hypostatic union of God and, and man, and, and, and they would just go like, what is this kid all about? And so he has a, he's, he's a bit odd in the neighborhood. And then you have uh, King Herod, who uh, is the king uh, of Judea, and uh, he's part of one of the most, uh, most advanced uh, governments that the world, uh, in that part of the world, has ever seen, the most powerful uh, governments and the most advanced forms of government that the world has seen. And then you have the Magi that are from the east. And the Magi, 
Um, so here it says uh, that they were, the, they were the called the wise men, but uh, the, the Greek word is, is magi, and it's a bit different. It's not that they were just more wise in, in the culture. They, they, were, they practiced things like, um, you know, divination and uh, astrology. So in, in other words, they were the most technologically advanced in the society, in the culture, because they observed the stars and they could interpret the future based off of what they read. So we get a few markers in this first verse that Matthew is trying to tell us a story, but he's also trying to tell us a true story. And uh, before before we get get into the narrative of the story, uh, the, the narrative of the text, uh, you might be wondering. Uh, okay, so the uh, so if you're familiar with the four gospels, you might be wondering, like there are the magi in, in Matthew's gospel, but not in the other gospels. Like, is does that mean that? You know, this is just uh, invention. Can I really trust that uh, that the Magi, the story of the Magi, really happened? Uh, and I'll, I'll just give a little bit of an analogy before we jump in. Uh, so, when my parents and I moved to, uh, and my siblings, when we moved to Orleans about uh, almost 30 years ago, uh, we uh, we got to meet some of our neighbors, and they told us that the Trudeau kids used to play in the house where we moved. That they used to come and they used to, you know, play in the pool and, and all that because their nanny, that's where that's where she lived. She lived in the house where we lived. And, uh, and uh, so, so, like, how are we supposed to take their word for it? Well, you know, we could ask another neighbor and say, like, is it true that the Trudeau kids used to, like, come to our house and play? And they would say, oh, of course. Uh, like, you, you should have been there. Like, two hours before they came, the streets were full of black cars with tint- tainted windows, and, you know, they would just park in front of our yard and leave their engine running for about four hours uh, before the kids were done, and then they'd eventually uh, leave. And uh, so it was a very remarkable event. You know, they don't just send the kids there on their on their own. They send uh, security with them, and so this, with uh, with the magi here, you have uh, you have a story of these these delegates who are, who left uh, Babylon and went to to Jerusalem, and they didn't go on their own. There there weren't three of them uh, with three camels. There were a lot more, and uh, probably a lot more camels than there were people with equipment, with uh, maybe armor and maybe uh, some beautiful colors to show that they were from a royal, um, that they, they, they represent the royalty of, uh, of where they came from and uh, had food and drink and sandals and all that. So there, were, there, was, there was a big group of people traveling in the desert and they were arriving in Jerusalem. So it's a fairly remarkable event that you could ask someone in Jerusalem at that time and they would say, oh, of course, I remember the Magi. So with that in mind, let's look at the text again. And then we'll move on to see what the, what the story has to say. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, just uh, pausing here for another moment. Um, so you can just imagine this large caravan coming into Jerusalem, going through the gates, uh, and uh, making their way to the temple of Herod, go up the stairs, uh, they get into the room where uh, where Herod is sitting on his throne and has all his advisors, the, the chief priests and, and all these different people who are around him, and uh, the Magi go and they, they, they address Herod and they say, Herod, uh, we've come to make a, a, a trade and uh, from uh, from our country and we want to have a peace agreement and we give you these gifts, these gifts to, to honor you. No, that's not what happens. Uh, let's read that again in verse 2. It says, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. And you can just imagine there's a really 
awkward silence, a cold silence. Now, you might be wondering, uh, hold on, Jonathan, like, uh, isn't Herod the guy who, uh, who killed his, you know, three of his sons, who killed his favorite wife, he, 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 wasn't that his reputation? Couldn't he just have said a word, snapped his fingers because he didn't like what they had to say? You know, the security come, they take the Magi away, clean the floor, nothing's ever happened, nothing ever happened here, uh, let's move on. Uh, couldn't he have just done that? Uh, so why did he listen to them? Uh, so I mentioned a little bit briefly earlier that the Magi were the astrologers who had an authoritative voice in their culture, kind of like the scientists today that, you know, they have an authoritative voice. They speak to politicians and people listen to them. We consult them. Uh, these, these Magi who were astrologers, uh, they had the, they were the voice of progress in that culture. When they spoke, people listened. And even though they weren't always actually right. So it's kind of like when you go to a party or you're at work and you, you have a conversation with someone and they tell you something and you're like, where is that coming from? Like, none of that is like logically coherent. Uh, and you're about to speak and then they say, well, we know this because science says so. And you're like, well, I'm not going to be the jerk now who's going to try to, to say, well, no, because science doesn't actually work that way. Like, it has authority uh, in our culture. And uh, that's just kind of the way that we interact with one another. One another. Um, and so here the Magi are the, the voice of progress, the, the, cultural, uh, the voice of cultural authority in that day. And they say, uh, and they speak of their findings, and Herod has their attention. So what are they saying to, to, to Herod? Uh, well, we, we see in the, in the first part of what they say, well, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Okay, Herod is king of Judea, he's king, of, oh, he's king over the Jews. Uh, what's, what's going on here? But then it says, for we saw his star when it rose, and I've come to worship him. And basically what they're saying is, Herod, your time's up. Where's the new king? Someone's been born. The stars have told us. The, the gods of the spiritual realm have spoken, and the stars have aligned. Your time is up. Where's the other king? A new emperor is about to come and will take over. And for the first time, since worshipping his own power and his own progress and his own reputation, Herod comes face to face with the expiration of, of this quest of becoming like God. So if Andrew, can we have our, our first point at this time? At the root of sin is a desire to be like God. At the root of sin is a desire to be like God. Now, whether it's a desire to be powerful or a desire to manipulate events or, or people in our lives uh, to have a, a result that we want or to receive praise and recognition from others, to be accepted, there's this underlying current that, that feeds all of these different dispositions that, that we have that uh, is a desire to be like God. And, uh, and for the first time here, Herod is realizing his frailty, that he is not the God that he thought that he was, the God that he imagined over and over in his mind that, uh, that he could become, but that he is frail and that he's toast. His last moment is about to come. So what does he do? Well, let's look at verse 4. So, so Herod, he, here's the news, uh, or verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So Herod 
is consulting the Jewish uh, leaders of that time and to see, like, so, so he believes what the Magi are saying. They spoke of the king of the Jews. Where is he to be born? And, um, and so here the, the word uh, Christ, which appears the first time, is for some of us it might be unf- unfamiliar. Uh, it basically says the one empowered by God to do God's will among God's people. And so we, we get a sense of, of divine authority, this divine ruler who's to come and is going to take Herod's place. And so what do the uh, scribes and leaders tell uh, Herod? Well, let's look at verse 5. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So just like that, introducing Jesus into the conversation has put a solid halt to Herod's progress in this world of becoming a god and becoming this very powerful king who has his way all the time. And Because here we're introduced with a prophecy that God spoke about 700 years before this very event. Uh, about 700 years before, through the prophet Micah, he speaks this word that God made a promise to bring a king and a ruler. And uh, and here Herod is, is confronted with the fact that God spoke and God is is acting upon his promise. And who can who can fight against that? And so he realized that he, he created this illusion uh, that he can control his life and his destiny. Uh, Andrew, can we have our next point, please? So sinful pride removes me from the real world where the Lord is God and I am not. Sinful pride removes me from the real world where the Lord is God and I am not. Now I'm qualifying pride here because, you know, there there are times when we're uh, proud of, you know, uh, our kid or a neighbor or or whatnot. And that's, that's okay. That's, that's fine. Here pride is, is the the idea of being rebellious against God. And, uh, which removes us from the real world where God is the Lord, where the Lord is God and I am not. And part of the Lord being, uh, God is the, His ability to oversee the events in life. Uh, we think that we can oversee things, that we can manipulate things in, in, like behind the scenes, but, uh, ultimately God is, is God. God is the one who has vengeance, uh, for, for evil. And, and Herod, uh, as we see, uh, in the next verse is going to, uh, want to have his own vengeance. So if, uh, we'll look at verse 7 here and to get a sense of, of his uh, sinful pride which removes him from the real world. So verse 7, Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, Go and search dil- diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. So you can imagine... Uh, Herod hears the news. He's troubled. All Jerusalem with them. He, uh, you know, he takes a Snickers or pops a Tic Tac, and he, you know, he collects his thoughts and his emotions, and then he 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 decides. He makes a decision. Okay, I'm going to manipulate the events. Uh, so we see here God's word was not enough. Uh, God's word that was spoken 700 years prior to the event uh, about a promise that would happen is that is being fulfilled at that very moment in it before his very eyes was not enough. For him, so he tries to manipulate the events. He tries to uh, go behind the scenes and, and, and have his way still. And uh, what's really fascinating about this, that as I was reading this this week, as I was 
coming to grips with this truth that, you know, Herod is, is not accepting God's word and he's going against God's word even though, you know, God's word is, is huge. Like it's, it was written 700 years before the event and like it's so precise. And, um, you know, as Christians, we have the, the benefit of having God's word, uh, written. And, uh, you know, as we read this, what we're reading is not just like any other novel, any other uh, story or piece of history. Like this is essentially the perspective of eternity written down uh, from, you know, God's interventions uh, in real life and teaching us his way, God revealing us his way for life. And uh, as Christians, we have the benefit of that, that we can know God truly uh, because his son has revealed um, God and through his word written, we can know him. And uh, how lightly do I take his word in my daily life? Uh, and how lightly do I take, you know, setting apart time to read his word? So that's a bit of an aside, but uh, what's really striking is, is also how the Magi received God's word with gladness. Um, we see that in verse uh, 9 and on. So after Herod makes a deal with uh, the, the Magi, after listening to the king, the Magi, went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Uh, this, is, I think, is... I didn't see it in the commentaries, but I think this is where Happy Camper comes from, uh, where they were exceedingly... They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. That's very, very, very happy. And uh, going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him. And uh, so what we, what we see here is, uh, is a moment of eternity. We sang this uh, earlier on uh, in the songs, that, uh, that in eternity, people are bowed down before God, worshipping God. And uh, we see a glimpse of eternity being acted out. Uh, in, in time and space, in, in this life that we uh, experience uh, when the Magi are finally arrived to Jesus to worship him and bow down. Now, some of you got really distracted with the cool star and want to know more. And uh, so there, just just as we get into that, we'll just spend a, a couple of minutes just to look at the star. Um, there are things in the Bible that are open-handed, things that are not super, super clear, that we should have our we shouldn't have a tight grip on them and uh, and have Christian freedom to believe these things and uh, and we can you know argue but not uh, not split over these things and there are things that we we hold on that are uh, close handed that we hold on because they are absolutely true and very very clear in the word and uh, this this part of the star uh, this part of the of the story with the star is not a place where we hold on very very tightly uh, some because it's not very clear Matthew. Uh, in, in a way, veils it in the way that he writes. So it's um, uh, so yeah. Some people believe that it's a comet. Some people believe that the stars aligned within a certain constellation, and you know, through science we can find out. Uh, other people believe it's uh, just simply a vision uh, from God that He gave them, and that God worked sovereignly through this vision so that they could encounter Him. Um, but uh, the, the point here is that uh, since Matthew is veiling it in the way that he's writing. He's not putting too much attention towards it. Um, just to, to give a, an analogy, in uh, another analogy, in this um, in these paintings here, it would be like saying in this painting in the middle with Jesus, uh, it, would be this, it would be like saying this painting is about Jerusalem in the back. Be, everyone would say, no, it's about Jesus. 
Everyone's kind of looking towards Jesus. The focus is in Jesus. And so in this story, if we look, if we focus on the star and we, we, we make it a deal breaker for us, we're missing the point. And uh, the point is this. Uh, Andrew, can I have the uh, next uh, slide? The point is this. God draws unfit people in unlikely ways to worship him. God draws unfit people in unlikely ways to worship him. Now, this isn't uh, a, an absolute rule, uh, but it's, it's, this happens. Uh, God will sovereignly work uh, through events uh, in the natural world, uh, in supernatural events as well, uh, to draw people who aren't fit to worship him. And uh, at the heart of Christian worship, uh, at the heart of of, of people uh, practicing the Christian faith is an awe of God, where we constantly ask the question, why me? Why me, God? Like, how how is it that you revealed yourself to me? Like, I didn't do anything to deserve this, and uh, and yet you've shown your love to me. That's how the, the core of Christian worship is awe of God, that he would do such a thing. Now, you might be wondering, what what makes me unfit? Like, why am I not fit to be a Christian, not fit to worship God. Um, well, we see in this story the Magi worshipped different gods. They, they worshipped uh, the natural world. They worshipped uh, different spirits in the, in the invisible world, practicing divination. Uh, before I was a Christian, I worshipped music. That, that's, that's what I worshipped. And, um, and I ascribed immense value and power to music over my life. It had the had such authority over who I was and how I felt and how I thought of the world. And that was my God. And I believed it. I actually uttered those words. Music is, is my God. And so what makes me, as someone who worshipped uh, music, worthy of, of, you know, what makes me fit to, to worship God? Well, I'm unfit to worship God. And yet God draws us in unlikely ways sometimes. And we see in the story here with the Magi that he draws uh, the Magi through a star. Uh, through a star that moved and and found uh, Jesus, and so they they, they made their way uh, to Jesus in that way. And uh, just a, a bit of my story: uh, God spoke to me in, in a musical concert at the National Arts Center, just a few blocks away from here, probably a year before my conversion. And uh, if if I were to to share that experience with uh, the Jonathan of today, uh, I would I would probably be cringing at what I was saying because it was so unclear. Uh, but all I knew is that I experienced God. That, that's what I knew for sure. But uh, my experience was, wasn't too clear. And, and if, if this is true, if God really does draw people who are unfit in unlikely ways, if God really does that, then that means that God is already having conversations with those people that we meet at the Starbucks or at the gym or at, at work or our neighbors. That God is already having uh, these conversations, these divine moments with these people, uh, and whether they understand what is happening or not, these things are happening. Creation is actually a witness of of God to the common person. And so, our job as you know, as Christians who want to share the good news of Jesus, is actually sometimes more simple than than we think. It's sometimes it's just as simple as chiming into a conversation that God is already having with people. And uh, even before we even got there and, and were able to share the gospel message. And so our, our job is to simply give a little bit more detail, give the, the revealed, specific word of God 
which he has revealed through Christ and in his church. And so here's the next point, uh, Andrew, if I could have the next slide. True and good progress is only true and good when it leads to Jesus. True and good progress is only true and good when it leads to Jesus. Now, progress isn't a bad thing. And uh, by the way, like I, I, I totally support uh, and I would encourage anyone, any Christian who wants to be a mathematician or a scientist, and like I, I would say go into that world and be the best Christian that you can or in, in law or in government, go for it. I would say that this is this is where Jesus is calling you. You should go for it and be faithful and be the best Christian that you can in that environment. But uh, it would have really been a disaster. It would have been a, a sad story if the Magi would have followed the star, continued in their ways, and all the way till it stopped on the house where Jesus was, and that they would have gazed at the star, and then they would have go back, gone back home, and that they wouldn't have encountered Jesus. It would have been a tragedy if that were the case. But we see that uh, all their all their their activity in, in this world, uh, their their search for meaning, their search for uh, for transcendence, actually had uh, a, an endpoint. That their progress in life, their search for you know greater technology and all that, actually had a point of reference, which was in Jesus. And uh, Herod's story, uh, on the other hand, is quite sad. Yet he was thought as the leader of progress by the Romans. Uh, he, he saw his progress and uh, he wasn't able to achieve it because because he was working against the Lord's will. There is an ultimate uh, ruler and, and shepherd uh, that, that has come into the world, who is Jesus. And so with all this talk about progress in our culture, uh, I would just like to invite you, if you haven't considered... Uh, Jesus yet, that uh, that Jesus is the one whom all truth and goodness point to. Now, whether it is our search for, for meeting or, or transcendence through you know, science and uh, spirituality, these different uh, activities that we can try to find this higher meaning to life, this purpose of life, or whether it's finding peace in our society through uh, good government, and um, like these things are only truly satisfied in the person of Jesus who has come to make make God known and uh and that's why you know that's why we have a cross here because Jesus when he came to earth was not just not just to live uh you know a good life he lived a good life and he lived the perfect life and that was part of his mission and the other part of his mission was to die on the cross so that we could receive God's forgiveness that we could be made right with God and um I'll invite you to stand and we'll uh We'll come to a time of conclusion here. If I can have my next slide, please, as well. So true and good progress begins when I live my life to honor Jesus as Lord. True and good progress begins when I live my life to honor Jesus as Lord. See, our only progress, our only hope for progress is when we humble ourselves before God one by one, when we put our hands in the hand of Jesus and say, Jesus, here's my life. I want to live for you. And uh, that we lay our hopes before Jesus and our fears and our joys to him so that he sends us out into the world and live in the real world where the Lord is God and that we are not. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you that uh, that you indeed came down from heaven and uh, that you became incarnate by the Holy Ghost uh, in the person of Jesus. And we thank you that uh, Lord, we can know you. We can know eternal life even now. And we thank you that, Lord, you've accomplished everything for that 
for us to have eternal life, that we can trust you and uh, we can trust your uh, perfect life and that uh, you died on the cross for our sins. And that is actually true and actually happened in history so that for all eternity we will be uh, made right with you and we will dwell with you. Lord, I pray that these things would be made uh, more real to us today and, uh, and on this week. In Jesus' name, amen.